Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the globe, bringing you news, views, and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Way. It's World Wide Wave Time, Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We love taking you around the globe one queer story at a time. I'm Matt and we are live in the Joy studios of the Victorian Pride Centre where I have the pleasure to be joined tonight by Stefan. Good evening. And Andrew. Oh, it's lovely to be. Pleasure to be here. And sex, aristocracy and the British government. No, it's got nothing to do with Boris Johnson. (laughs) A hidden story of English history has been uncovered. But what turns it from an interesting story into a scandal is that the sex is homosexual. The aristocrat is a lord and it happened right at the time of the coronation of a king. Plus... It's 100% a true story. It's a story of power and privilege, a battle between purity and sodomy in 19th century England. This once hidden story has been unearthed and is now explained by Australian historian and author Peter Jordan in a trilogy of books under the title A Secret Between Gentlemen. Peter joins us in the studio tonight. A Secret Between Gentlemen is a trilogy of books. There's so much to this story. It comes in three volumes. Uh, and the the uh, author of that and historian is Peter Jordan. Peter, welcome to Joy. Thank you and for having me at this uh, forum for the dissemination of scandal. Yes, we, <laughs> we love a good scandal. Um, now, we're going, you're taking us back to uh, the start of the last century, sort of uh, early 1900s. And it's all about Lord Battersea. Who is Lord Battersea? Well, Lord Battersea was a plutocrat. So, uh, a plutocrat. A plutocrat. So very rich. Right. He was known, um, publicly known as the most handsome man in Parliament, and he was married to uh, the, one of the richest uh, women of the day, which was Constance de Rothschild, one of the uh, that family. Uh, they was, didn't have any children. Was he a law? Uh, was he? Did his um, lordship come he, through no, the he, money he didn't of his inherit his, he, he didn't inherit his title. In fact, there was an Australian connection. The family had actually made their wealth through the Australian wool trade. Right. His father, mm. uh, his uh, his father had gone to Sydney with his br- with uh, his father's brother, and they had actually become. Uh, uh, exporters of Australian wool and gold and other things, very big uh, flour and uh, I forget what the other, the other was a big flour big salting company, I think it was known as, and uh, very big. And that's how the fortune was made. So um, Cyril 
That was his name, Cyril Flower, before he became Lord Battlesea. Cyril Flower? Cyril Flower. He was Is an there aesthete. a gayer name than Cyril you Flower? You can't get more gayer <laughs> than Cyril Flower. And in fact, his entire circle was very gay. I mean, he hang, hung out with all the aesthetes of the day, including uh, Lord Horton, who was a kind of mentor to uh, the younger generation. He'd been very grand and very witty uh, um, in his time, and uh, so he, he assisted these men kind of define themselves. Ooh. So what's the scandal bit? Well, the scandal bit was that at that time, if you were um, notable, blackmail was just, it was the age of blackmail. It was incredibly difficult to have sex if you were notable and, and, and not undertake the risk, not uh, have the risk of blackmail hanging over your head. It was just endemic. Even for heterosexual sex? No, no. no but but there was a lot of lot of that too. Um, blackmailers were just it was just incredible. This and was just a way of sort of making was money to survive. Just a way of or? making money, oh. and uh, and obviously uh, Cyril, being a clever man and very managerial, he was on the boards of several companies. Wondered how one could overcome this, and the perfect way to overcome it was to have one's procurers from one's own class. So that sidestepped the whole issue of, you know, not having to go down to Piccadilly and just pick up any rentiers like uh, John Saul, the the star witness of the Cleveland Street scandal. If you remember the famous Cleveland Street scandal of 1889, 1890, most people don't. Most people are only aware of, in terms of homosexual scandals... Oscar Wilde. Of that era. Most people can only say Oscar Wilde, yeah. Oscar yes. Wilde of 1895. But there are actually um, several and very important ones. And um, uh, they were the Bolton and Park case of 1870, which was a cross-dressing case. Two, two, men, two men dressed in women's clothes, causing scandal. Uh, they got off. Um, um, that, that was a huge court case. Um, and nothing bit, changes, does it? Nothing, cha- nothing changes. <laughs> Could have happened last week. <laughs> then there was the Dublin Castle scandal of 1883-1885. Dublin Castle was the seat of the British government in Ireland and there was uh, an a Irish nationalist who kind of um, undermined the government, made allegations of homosexuality, which were true, and it became a big scandal. So that was huge. And then there was... The Cleveland Street scandal of 1889-90, which was about a a brothel, which was in Cleveland Street. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, some of the boys working there worked at the uh, telegraph office, the GPO, and uh, for extra pocket money. And that's how the uh, routine investigation of the GPO exposed these, this was going on. And unfortunately, one of the boys, as he was being led by the police, a policeman to the station, said, I think it's very unfair that, you know, that I am imprisoned when other greater names go free. And the policeman said, what do you mean? Names of names. Names of names. And he promptly named it well. Lord Arthur Somerset, who was the Duke's son, and another Duke's son, so the son of two Dukes. And... uh, not only that, then it was implicated that the uh, one of the lawyers implicated that suggested that the uh, that Prince Eddie, Prince oh, Albert yes. Edward, who was the heir presumptive to the throne, that means the one after the current heir presumptive, had also visited the brothel. So right. suddenly the British government 
This went into crisis control. Went into absolute crisis control and smothered the whole as much as it could. But that was probably the biggest, probably the biggest scandal of the Victorian era. I thought that um, brothel had some link to the Jack the Ripper. Case. Well, there was, but that came later. That's that's a false allegation, but I it came see. later. But yes, it's a great allegation to make, but it was it was not true. But it, it that developed in the nineteen sixties. But the, the Lord Battersea scandal: um, two people were convicted and, and went to jail. I believe is that right? But yeah, but just, just these are the other two scandals, and I'll tell you. Uh, then there was the trials of Oscar Wilde. Yeah. So the Cleveland Street scandal in eighteen eighty nine. Then the trials of Oscar Wilde in eighteen ninety five. And then the Irish Crown Jewels theft of 1907, which was also um, involved uh, gay men. Right. Get saucier and saucier. <laughs> so those were the big ones. And those are the ones, those um, scandals have been known. So there's five that have, been, that have been known. This one, which was equally almost as big, has been unknown. Well, it was known that Lord Battlesea had been involved in a homosexual scandal, but the details were absolutely unknown. And that's because that's a tribute to the British um, smothering of scandal, mm. the British government. Is there a current Lord Battersea? No, the title died with him. Oh, that was uh, lucky, wasn't it? Secret. Yeah, secret. Um, we've got a heap of things to ask you tonight. In fact, um, when we come back, we're going to explore that sort of different time in history and how it sort of shaped this story. Yep. You're listening to World Wide Wave where our diverse communities can come together. Joy. We have a guest in the studio tonight uh, by the name of Peter Jordan, historian, author of the books uh, A Secret Between Gentlemen. Uh, Peter, I'm not quite sure we've got to the bottom of the scandal. So there's basically this group of aristocrats who it's a network of a sex network, let's call it. A sex network, and Lord Battlesea was the ringleader. And how did, because you said he was being careful by only sort of, you know, recruiting from the aristocracy, how did he get found out? Well, it happened that um, one of the boys was a trainee sailor and his letters were opened and they found letters from a gentleman who happened to be one of the procurers and uh, that's how the scandal unravelled. So it immediately went to the Admiralty, the Admiralty which was... British, head of the British Navy, and they uh, brought in Scotland Yard. Oh, and, never put uh, it in writing. Sorry? Never put it in writing. <laughs> never put it in writing. And, um, rule. And, oh, listeners, we've been having such an interesting conversation <laughs> behind, while you've been... Anyway, while the song's been going on. And um, so investigators were brought in, and unfortunately, as the investigation continued... And they went to country houses and uh, purlieus of the rich and famous and yachts even. Uh, the British government got a sense and Scotland Yard got a sense of they got scared. They literally got scared of what they were uncovering. And Scotland what they Yard might, did. Yes, and what they might uncover uh, as more names became. And there was a period of several weeks later, uh, so what they, what they had to do the British government had to make some several important decisions. How are we going to manage this? How are we going to prosecute this? Because the reality was that um, the government was also the aristocracy. Of course. And uh, this could have set class against class. And also at the same time, um, respect for the British aristocracy and the upper class, which was the government, was being undermined by successive scandals in the divorce courts 
uh, it, it was just really, really black. And, and you know, one American paper said after one um, scandal that another one of these, and you know, there'll be the tumbrils, the revolutionary tumbrils will be running. It was and, really and so. That's what saved Battersea, really. Uh, the- yeah, the British. Well, also because of the names, the the other names in the in the group. One of which I suspect was uh, the heir to the Duke of Argyll, who was Lord Lorne, and he was married to Princess Louise, one of Queen Victoria's daughters. Wow. So I that was like anything. Asso- even if he, even if he wasn't the associate, he was he was Lord Battlesea's best friend. So even the association of his name with Battlesea was just like bad news for the British government. So they had to quickly make decisions about how we're going to prosecute this. What they did was they quarantined the case. They only were going to prosecute the minnows. And we actually went right up, uh, allegedly, to the king, because uh, Edward VII, who was a great kind of uh, Bismarck of... He was called the Bismarck of London. That was his nickname because he managed scandals. And, and, he, uh, and the king's word, you know, scandals, newspapers wouldn't print scandals. Mm. When you say the minnows, was that just the boys, the rent boys? No, or? the boys, the boys, the boys were the last consideration for the government. The very last. Their welfare. That, that was. That wasn't. It was all about reputation. It was all about reputation. So, um, the government had to make decisions, and so they decided that they would prosecute two of the um, procurers, the pimps. One of the. One of the pimps escaped uh, and another, I think, was allowed to escape. Mm. Maybe both were allowed to escape. Mm. Do we know where they ended up? Uh, I do, yes, because I've traced their their later lives. So, um, Are you going to tell? Or is that a secret? Oh no, we'll get we'll get to there. But so the two so you the, have to buy the book. So the two the two that were prosecuted was Bernard Fraser, who was a man about town, wealthy from our his family's fortune was from insurance. His father had built an uh, an insurance fortune in the insurance industry, and uh, the other one was Arthur Thorold, who was from the gentry. The Thorolds were um, baronets, and. Uh, he was a schoolmaster and had been um, trafficking his boys, I suspect, from the school. Oh, but that's not sure. But he certainly trafficked his boys to one of the other procurers. Well, what does this this period? Because you also mentioned it's, it's sort of the time of Oscar Wilde and so this is after the Oscar Wilde um, scandal. So, but in that era, there was. Um, this, uh, you know, if we look at the, the, the Oscar Wilde story, there was sort of this idol idealization of youth. Yes. And um, the, you know, homosexual men, whilst they weren't identified as homosexual, they were very flamboyant and everybody wanted to be with them and they were invited to parties. But there seems to be this alternate mm, sort of well, that, push that's, against that's, them. No, no, I don't think so. That's the truth. That's is that that's, just the that's, a, that's, a, that's the strata of the the upper British society mm-hmm. where flamboyant men were allowed, and in the working class, I think also because the working class always very forgiven. But I think in the middle class, and 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 it was just horror. And you have to remember that after the Oscar Wilde's uh, scandal, no bachelor of a certain age was beneath suspicion. That cast suspicion over all bachelors. Wow. Mm, gee. It was terrible. It was terrible. So that's why so many of them would have married, I presume. Absolutely. And most of the men in my story married. You know, that was, uh, 
it seemed extraordinary. Um, two things struck me when I was writing the book. How short their lives were. Most were dead by 65, by the mid-60s. And the second thing was um, that so many of them married. Usually um, widows, oh, women man. of a certain age. We're talking about a certain strata level, a certain level of society. But they usually marry older women. Do you have any idea why their lives were relatively short like yeah, well, that? That's, that's puzzled me, but I presume it was um, uh, co- uh, smoking oh. for the first of one, cigarettes, living in smoky rooms, um, and coal tar in the atmosphere and in the rooms and so forth, and diet maybe, but it's, it's, it's a mystery. 60, yeah, about yeah. 65, they tend to tap out. Because yeah. those um, things wouldn't have been unique to gay men, those three no, things. No, that was universal. Yes, yeah. We've got lots more questions, um, particularly uh, we've got some, we want to hear a little bit about the third volume, which deals with homosexuality in the clergy as well. Oh, this yes. is Worldwide Wave. Our community is stronger with joy. Become a member, joy.org.au. If someone feels little to no sexual attraction to other people, they're known as asexual. It's like you might find it impossible to start the morning without a steaming cup of hot coffee. But someone else might not see the appeal. They might think that that same coffee tastes like stale dishwater. And they definitely don't want to put their genitals into it. Sexual attraction doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can think of asexuality as a spectrum. Similar to asexual people, aromantic people feel little or no romantic or emotional attraction. Want to learn more? Check out Joy's inclusion and diversity training. Visit joy.org.au forward slash services. This is Ulrike Lunacek, member of the European Parliament and co-president of the Parliament's LGBT intergroup on the World Wide Wave. You're on Joy 94.9 on the show that takes you around the globe one queer story at a time, Worldwide Wave. And we want to give a special hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcasts automatically either at joy.org.au forward slash Worldwide Wave or on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. Now, I just want to give everybody a little update because there's a Joy Gig coming. So Joy Gigs is one of our new um, um, umbrella sections that we're running, so gigs around town. And uh, Queer AF is being presented by Joy, along with the Victorian Government's On the Road Partnership and the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. And uh, we're going to be heading on up to the 86 on Smith Street with five live acts, live Aussie acts. Who? Uh, there's Tanza, there's Cry Club, there's Kean, Max Lawrence and Michael War. You're drooling, Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> and and Warren, Warren, Em and Warren from oh. Next Door on Drive, they're going to be there hosting the night. So uh, the first of our Joy gigs, come along and see it. Saturday 19th of November, 7pm at the 86. You do need to book because it's going to book out. Yeah. And it's Queer AF and we can't say what the AF stands for. But no, you know. use your imagination. Joy.org.au is where you find the tickets. From coming out to reaching out, fighting for change or battling to be heard. These are the stories of the diverse rainbow community from across the globe. Coming to you from Australia's LGBTIQ radio station, Joy. We're speaking about the trilogy of books titled A Secret Between Gentlemen, A Scandal. From the early 19th century, the author is Peter Jordan. Uh, Peter, we mentioned there the third book deal delves into the 
the gay clergy, not that there's gays in the clergy, but you know, no. No, the gay clergy. No. What's the, um, how do they fit into this myriad of stories? Well, because I had, the books took five years to write, I just came across so much research and I kept uh, coming across um, so many wayward uh, clergymen, that, uh, including one outrageous one called F.G. Widows, who uh, almost ran a cult. And it was hugely popular, especially with women. And in Scotland, they used to have uh, <laughs> meetings drawing up to, uh, you know, several thousand people where he'd talk about his uh, ridiculous charges of sodomy in a mixed audience. I mean, this was just beyond belief for the time. But yeah. he did. He was. Did he think because he was in the clergy he was protected or? Well, he wasn't in. The, he was a make-believe clergyman. Okay. And oh. uh, he was just. <laughs> he he just wore the dress. Uh, yeah, as a, as, a, as a teenager, you know, he was in court, dragged up to court and he'd, and he'd said, look, to the judge, he said, look, I'd ma- we married, referring to a fellow priest, look, we married, uh, all this kind of thing. This was like when the death penalty had only recently been abolished for, like, he was just... Out for, there, we would say. It was so out there. So that's why, yes. Mm. I'm conscious of times running away, so let me just address two aspects to it. I want to talk about, one, the trial of the procurers. Tell us about the trial. And also the Australian connection to the Please, yes. Well, uh, the British government was very clever when they quarantined the scandal. They were going to prosecute the the two procurers, but they didn't hold it in London. They held it in a provincial court. Okay. So away from the London press. And the trial was carefully stage-managed. And as it was, and the two procurers fell on their swords, so to speak. They admitted their guilt, which meant that everything didn't have to be brought up in court mm. to achieve a guilty verdict. So they did. They uh, they admitted their guilt. So that was just so convenient for the British government. And one was sentenced. Uh, Bernard Fraser, the man about town, the wealthy man about town, was sentenced to five years imprisonment. I'm sorry, 10 years imprisonment, very heavy sentence, hard labour. And the other, um, Arthur Thorold, uh, the younger man, the school teacher, was sentenced to five years imprisonment, hard labour. How did they induce those men to fall on their swords, so to speak? It would have been for to protect the greater names. They would have said, this is your duty as gentlemen, and you're going to, if, if this comes out, there's 30 men, they've, they've got wives, sometimes children perhaps, this is catastrophic, and also you're, you know, you're guilty of moral sin, and Arthur Thorold was the son of a clergyman, this was this thing. So, and it was great because I, um, I didn't just make this up in my head. I, you know, I went to the, like, I went to the courtroom, went to the, stood in the, uh, the, the, the cell, the holding cell where they would have stood in the, in the courtroom, and it's a very small courtroom, and you would, they would have sat, like, mere feet away from their families. The shame, the shame is just would have been extraordinary. Mm. And what about the Australian connection? Well, There's actually uh, well, it's a Victorian connection. Yes, no, a Victorian connection. So Arthur Thorold, he's sentenced to... Uh, te- uh, five years hard labour. He's sentenced to Dartmoor Prison, which was the hardest prison in the British system, which meant breaking rocks on on Dartmoor in the in the worst weathers. I mean, people like Oscar Wilde got kid glove treatment compared to this. This made you knew, you, you you when you came out of Dartmoor, you were a different person. It was basically mm. a concentration camp um, without extermination. Mm. Uh, it was just. You came out a different person. So he came out 
after, uh, I think, four years, eight months, good behaviour. And uh, obviously there was no place in Britain for him. So he had to emigrate and he changed his name. He, he, he used, only used his middle name after that. So he became Charles Thorold. And then like something out of Charles Dickens, he arrives in Melbourne <laughs> in uh, around 1908. Uh, to stay with friends of the family, and they suggest that he apply. He, he wanted to become an actor, and they said, oh, no, 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 an actor? An actor? Peasant <laughs> oh, ca- class. No, no, how did class say? Could one, an actor? No, uh, you, you, you can apply to be a schoolmaster. And they arranged, uh-huh. and he arranged with his brother, to, uh, to uh, false references and a forged CV. And he applied to be a schoolmaster in Queensland at the Southport School. Uh, which is a prestigious school now these days. And he was wildly successful um, as a headmaster there. In fact, he, uh, the head, the, as a headmaster, sorry, prince, as a master there, not a headmaster, the headmaster, though, offered him the deal of a lifetime to buy into the school, which he did, which made him a, a lot of money. Right. And mm-hmm. then he became a schoolmaster at the Hutchins School in Hobart, then at Barker in Sydney, oh. and then Mentone Grammar. So if there's any Mentone, ex-Mentone Grammar boys or Mentone, current Mentone Grammar boys Give listening, a, a big hello this to those out history. there. And he, uh, uh, this is, uh, at, at, um, just before the Depression, he bought Mentone Grammar. Wow. And uh, became so principal of Mentone Grammar. And then in 1939, when, when the Depression arrived and school numbers plummeted uh, and the outbreak of war and uh, the, the bushfires that were happened then, uh, he was in depression. He'd married twice by this stage. He, he was on his second marriage by this stage. He suicided. Mm-hmm. But that was smothered up. That was smothered up and, uh, as a heart attack. But he suicided by riding his uh, Humber English bicycle off Mentone Pier. He, which Mentone Pier was then a deep water pier that had been built for ferries at Mentone. It no longer exists. Yeah. Hey, your, um, this story has stayed hidden for 100 years, essentially hidden. Yeah. How did you stumble across it? It's a very strange situation. Uh, in 2016, the uh, Chicago Tribune uh, digitised its archives and for a few months they allowed everyone in the world to read them. And it so happened that writing for the Chicago Tribune was a person who billed themselves as the Marquis de Fontenoy. And so who was that? Well, it was actually a man called uh, uh, Frederick Cunliffe Owen, who was married to a French countess. And he was a a former diplomat, and he was uh, a... A club man, in other words, he was members of London and New York uh, and London and uh, New York clubs, and very connected to the British establishment and uh, Washington and New York. And he broke the story. Uh, he didn't name. He only named the names of the procurers, uh, and but he he intimated it was Lord Battlesea. And I, uh, by saying the ringleader of the case was the most handsome man in Parliament, married mm-hmm. to an heiress. And I was reading this one night at sort of 1 a.m. Uh, and I was like, the most handsome man. In-. And I suddenly remembered that was the popular the phrase, phrase used. used for Lord Battlesea. And I knew Lord Battlesea had been involved in a scandal. The details were unknown. This was it. And, and you took this to the next level because you well, five then, years you've he, been working on it. He named the procurers. So then immediately I typed in 
the, the odd name, which was Arthur Thorold, which is an unusual name. And I didn't put it in inverted commas, which was very fortunate for me, for, because then immediately Google brought up Arthur Thorold, Charles Thorold, not Arthur, Charles Arthur Thorold was respected link. headmaster. And I thought, well, that's not him. Ah. And, uh, but then by the breaking of dawn, I was, <laughs> several hours later, I, started, I began to realise it was him. But in a split second, Google had connected the secret that he'd hidden his entire life. Mm, and from then on, it was the, the, the matter of reach, tracing the families, contacting the descendants. And so tell us a bit about that, because I'm sure some of the families perhaps didn't want these oh, secrets un- yeah, uncovered. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, <laughs> everyone's different. Uh, you've got to remember, some families are very proud. Uh, I had uh, one, um, one gentleman say to me, in a silvery voice, uh, after he providing a, a photograph, he said, if you do find out what happened, I don't want to know. No. Fair enough. Okay. Well, at least he gave you the photo. <laughs> yeah, he gave, gave me the photo. And um, Was that in England or here? In, that was in England. Right. Yeah. How long did you spend over there? I spent, uh, for research, uh, I spent uh, a couple of weeks going to... Um, uh, several stately homes, Chatsworth, um, uh, Inverary Castle, um, for their archives. And it's really interesting because you get to go behind the scenes where the public doesn't go. Like when we're walking, when the archivist at Chatsworth House is walking us, walking me, I'm thinking, God, this is just like Downton Abbey because mm-hmm. you go through these corridors that have like stacked with treasures, piled high, gathering dust that no one ever sees. And uh, it's just extraordinary. And then, then going to Windsor Castle, to the Royal Archives at Windsor, which was another case of... Peter, you've been working on this for five years. Are you done yet or is there more to tell? Um, there's always more to tell, but I had to stop. Um, okay. But there, there, yeah, I have to stop. The second edition is... I'm just uh, in, um, finishing the second edition revisions now. So it's a trilogy of books titled A Secret Between Gentlemen. Um, Peter, where can people find this? On Amazon. On and on Amazon. Amazon. And the first one is called A Secret Between Gentlemen, Lord Battlesea's Hidden Scandal and the Lives It Changed Forever. That's volume one. And when you look for the description, make sure it's got second edition. Right. Because there's some, some resellers still flogging away the first edition. So you want the, <laughs> the bumper second edition. And we should point out that um, Peter's surname is Jordan, but it's spelled with a double A, D-A-A-A-N. And it's available in hardback, paperback and um, Kindle. Ebook. Kindle. 995 in Kindle. We've just posted a link on our Facebook page. You can go to W3Joy to uh, find that link as well. Peter, it's been an absolute delight. We could have talked to you for another another week, I think, but we'll Ooh. have to uh, leave it there. Thank, Thank you. you so much for it's joining a pleasure. us. pleasure. Thank you. Listen live or on demand from wherever you are in the world. Stream us live on joy.org.au or subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform to World Wide Wave. This is Taya Braun, Legal Director of the Human Dignity Trust on Worldwide Ways. Receive LGBT news from around the world throughout the week. Like Worldwide Wave on Facebook now. 
a huge thank you to our guest tonight, Peter Jordan, the author of the trilogy of books under the title A Secret Between Gentlemen. Find them at your favourite online bookstore and we've posted a link on our Facebook page, W3Joy. And thanks to everybody who has interacted with us on Facebook. There was Liz, Yangfa, Moyad, Hoffler and a heap more. Um, that's W3Joy on Facebook. And behind the, th- behind the scenes, thank you to our podcaster, Peter, and our social media master, Dean. We'll be back next week with more World Wide Wave. Thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. World Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash worldwidewave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news. Search W3Joy on Facebook now. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.